want to take just a moment now and just give you an opportunity to continue in that spirit of, of just feeling God's presence. We're in His presence today. He is here. Do you see Him on His throne? Do you see Him high and lifted up? Is He the King of your heart? If so, just take a second and just fellowship with Him in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind. Can you feel the loving arms of God wrapped around you? I know that some may be here who may be carrying burdens. The Bible says He cares. Cast your burden upon Him because He he cares for you. You may be here and you may be in a time of great celebration. We'll share that celebration with Him. God, thank you today for calling us into your presence. Give us a, a sense of your wonder as we continue just to worship you and praise you God, your word is truth. Your word is life. And we seek that truth. We seek that life today. And so as we continue to worship you now, keep our spirit soft. Keep our spirit humble before you. Keep us in awe before you as we worship you through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the power of your word today. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them with me as we continue today. Uh, we've, we've heard Psalm 99 read, and we want <clears throat> to unpack Psalm 99 as we walk through our time of worship today. <clears throat> our world uh, has a way of exalting celebrity, lifting up celebrity. Uh, for example, Queen Elizabeth recently died. Uh, today in the United Kingdom, all over the United Kingdom, there are grieving people who are passing by her and who are remembering her. Uh, Elizabeth II was Queen of the United Kingdom and other Commonwealth realms from February the 6th, 1952, until her recent death in 2022. And that means that all of my life, uh, there's not been a day in my life that she has not been reigning as queen until this past couple of weeks. Uh, she's been queen regent over 32 sovereign states during her lifetime. Now celebrations are no strangers to our world culture and especially here in America. Uh, according to Google, 6,285 things are marked on our calendars with recognized celebrations. Now, I'm not going to take time today to go through all 6,285, but some of those celebrations that you will remember include notable people. For example, in January, we celebrate President's Day here in our country. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is celebrated. J.R.R. Tolkien Day is celebrated. And we could go through the calendar and we would find uh, sports figures like Babe Ruth Day and uh, Kobe Bryant Day. And then you get to August and you have a whole month of celebration of Elvis Month. So we're no strangers in our culture to times of celebration and people of celebration. 
But there's a caution to celebrating and exalting people. Uh, Anglican theologian Pastor John Stott put it this way, and I quote, he said, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. In How the Mighty Have Fallen, C.S. Lewis said this, and I quote, Make no mistake about it. Pride is the great sin. It is the devil's most effective and destructive tool. And so we make a critical error when we put people, and especially ourselves, above God. In Hebrew literature, like the Psalms that we're working through, writers could not underline or bold something that they were emphasizing, so they repeated it. Uh, and as we worship through Psalm 99 today, I want you to look for signs of emphasis with repeated words and phrases that you will hear. Uh, in these little nine verses, short nine verses, for example, exalt is listed three times, is repeated three times. Uh, the word exalt simply means to hold something or someone in high regard. It means to raise, the dictionary says, in rank or power or character. Another word that's pointed out three times in these nine verses is the word holy. Holy means that which is consecrated, that which is set apart for a high purpose. And so we'll see these repeated phrases in these nine verses as we work through this psalm today. In Psalm 99, the psalmist focuses like a laser on the holiness of God. Now, when you leave here today, my prayer and my aim and my goal is that you will have a sense, a greater sense of the holiness of God and what it means to lift Him up above everything in your life, above everyone else in your life, and exalt Him. The psalmist focuses on the holiness of God in at least four different ways in this psalm. So let's just dig in and, and look at them. First of all, he declares the holiness of God. He declares the holiness of God in verse 1. The Bible says, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. So for those of you who may be new here today, the fourth book of Psalms begins with Psalm 90 and moves through Psalm 106. We have 16 Psalms that are packaged in what we know as the fourth book of the Psalms. Three times in these 16 Psalms, the psalmist begins with the identical declaration. The Lord reigns. In Psalm 93.1, he says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. In Psalm 97, verse 1, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. In Psalm 99, verse 1, as we see today, The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. So no matter how much turmoil, how much chaos, how much struggle there is in this world today, God is in charge. The Lord reigns. We need to bowl that. We need to highlight that. 
We need to make sure that that is imprinted on our soul, on our heart. So when things get tough, we understand that the Lord reigns. And the psalmist says, as, as a result of that, as a result of his authority and his power and his sovereignty and his total control, the people tremble. The point there is that to understand who God's is, God is and to truly draw into his presence is an awesome experience. That's what he means by the fact that it, it makes us tremble. Think with me for a moment. What are some things that make people tremble in our world today? Uh, that question was once asked on the Family Feud TV show. <laughs> and they gave seven reasons why people tremble in our world today. Answers included fear, being cold, earthquakes, storms, spiders, death, car accidents, and they could have gone on and on with things that make people tremble. Now, again, I, I certainly don't disagree with any of these. But the psalmist had a much broader view, a much deeper view of what makes people truly tremble. And that is when we come into the presence of the true and living God, when we understand how awesome God is and realize how sovereign He is over everything, we come into His holy presence. We tremble. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. God draws us into a reverential awe and all of his created beings give praise and worship to him. And of course, mankind is a part of that awe that we give to him. A definition, let me give you a definition of reverential awe. The dictionary says that reverential awe is an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, or fear produced by that which is grand, sublime, extremely powerful. Now, if that's not God, I don't know what is. God is to be reverenced, admired, and feared because He is grand and sublime and supremely powerful. Imagine with me just for a moment on a worldly realm, on an earthly realm. Imagine with me the most famous person that you could think of and you being invited to have dinner with them, one-on-one. -on -one. Imagine what kind of feeling, imagine what kind of awesome experience that would be. And now multiply that by a billion <laughs> when we think about the awe and the majesty of God himself. Reverential awe belongs exclusively to God. Back in the day when we had telephones hanging on the wall and when we had some remote units but you had to be close to the one that was hanging on the wall, uh, in, in our homes and our businesses, uh, our four-year-old son 
answered the phone one morning, and he hung up, and Gail asked him, who was it on the phone? And he said, it was the wrong number. They asked for Reverend Bird. <laughs> you know what? He was exactly right. There is no one, there is nothing that is to be reverenced other than God himself. He alone is to be revered. And the psalmist declares the holiness of God. And we're called into his presence. In Leviticus chapter 9, verses 22 to 24, Moses and Aaron made an offering and blessed the people. And when they came out of the tent of meeting, verse 24 says, Fire fell out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Ah! In other words, they just trembled at being in the very presence of God himself. And we have the opportunity to draw into the presence of holy God every day. And our first response to God, our total response to God, ought to be that reverential awe, ought to be that trembling as we truly focus on who he is and bow before him and tremble before him. So because of the reverential awe of God, the psalmist says, The Lord reigns, in verse 1, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. Now let's talk about this thing about the cherubim for a moment. See, God has always desired a presence with you. He's always desired for you to humbly come into His presence and share life with Him, to draw close to Him. God chose, for example, when the, the Israelites were freed from Egyptian slavery and were marching across the desert to the promised land, from Egypt to the promised land. God chose to dwell in a tabernacle. He, he told uh, Moses and Aaron how to build the tabernacle, and his dwelling place with his people was in the tabernacle. The, the, the place of highest honor in the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, where the, the dwelling place, the real presence of God dwelt. And in that, in that tabernacle, in, on the mercy seat, in the Holy of Holies, the, the psalmist is drawing the people to the picture of the cherubim there, lifting up God high and holy. The, their wings covered the dwelling place of God. And the psalmist calls worshipers to visualize this structure, to visualize this special place where God wants to dwell with his own people. You and I have that privilege today. Because of what God has done for us, called us to himself, called us into relationship with him, we have the opportunity to draw into his presence and give that kind of recognition to him today. And so along with the psalmist, we have the opportunity to declare the presence of God in our life. What does that look like? Well, it could look like that every morning when you wake up, the first thing, pulling aside, humbling yourself before God and worshiping His presence. 
asking for Him to dwell with you throughout the day and fellowship with you throughout the day and celebrate life with you throughout the day. You declare the presence of God in your mind and in your heart and in your life. God deserves that place of holiness. Holiness is the reality of being high and lifted up above everyone and above everything. When we come into the presence of God, the psalmist says, you know, it's a powerful experience. Let the earth quake, he says. So what makes the earth shake? What makes the earth quake? Well, often when we think about the earth shaking, we think about earthquakes, don't we? A number of years ago, Gail and I spent a couple of weeks out in California in the San Francisco Bay Area doing ministry. And every single day we would drive from Oakland where we were staying across the, uh, Oak, uh, across the, the Bay Bridge. And every day we would experience life on both sides of the bridge. That San Francisco Bay Bridge, you recall, is a double-decker bridge. Well, six months after we shared time out there, some of you may remember an earthquake occurred and the top portion of that bridge literally came down on the bottom portion of that bridge, creating a lot of agony, a lot of havoc. That earthquake was a powerful experience. And when we think of the presence of God, we can't help but think of God as Making the earth quake, it's a powerful experience to be in the presence of holy God. For us, it was one of those what-if moments. What if we had been on that bridge? But the reality is, the earthquake is a powerful, awesome display of power. And God's power is even greater than that. Heavenly beings honor and praise Him because of this power. And you and I, human beings, have the opportunity to praise God and honor Him as well. And verse 2, the Bible says, The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. Again, the holiness of God just consumed the mind and consumed the life of the psalmist. Zion is that symbol of God coming down to meet with His people and calling His people into a corporate experience of worship like we are enjoying here today. Why do we do that? Because God is worthy of praise. And because God is worthy of praise, worshipers declare the glory of God, declare the fact that God is worthy of our praise. In worship, we give praise and honor to His name. Worship is our response to the greatness and the power of God. Praising the name of God is just a natural response to being in His presence. I trust that you've been there today. I trust that your life can declare the presence of holy God because you have spent time with Him. That's what the psalmist did. He declared the holiness of God. And so must we. Secondly, 
He describes the holiness of God. What does this holiness of God look like? He describes it in verse 4 and 5. He says, The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. And so the psalmist describes God as a just king. Now, he had a better picture of this in his mind than you and I can have today because we don't have a king in our culture. But to be in the presence of a king was an awesome experience. And the psalmist is describing it here. A king can do as he pleases, just as God can do as he pleases. But with God as our reference, he never abuses the fact that he's all-powerful. He rewards and he punishes with equity, fairly. He gives us exactly what we deserve. And so the psalmist says, Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at His footstool. Holy is He. The psalmist is describing that God is exalted in His Lordship. And when worshipers take a realistic view of Almighty God, we exalt Him for His authority and His rule over everything. The psalmist describes God as praiseworthy. He emphasizes that in verse 2 and in verse 5 and in verse 9. Holy is He. Exalt the Lord our God. When the psalmist talks about this footstool thing, you, do you have a picture of that in your mind? You know what a footstool is? In the day when the kings reigned, and in places I would assume in our world today, when the king sat on a throne, there was a footstool at the bottom of that throne. And when, when uh, people of that country, people of that land would come before the king, their only position was to kneel before the king in humility and in awe, in respect. And he's given us that picture before God when we describe the holiness of God. The description of our life ought to be to be humble before, the God, before our God, to bow before Him, to reverence Him. This footstool represents, in fact, humility. It represents a profound reverence that we have when we come before God. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, he says, Thus says the Lord, the Bible says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? This is significant. Jesus paints this same picture in Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 and 35. God lives in heaven, but he's chosen to come down to earth, and he's made the earth his footstool. Because God is worthy for us to surrender Every part of our life, every part of our life to Him. And when we bow at His footstool, we're acknowledging the fact that He is enthroned above us. And we owe Him our whole life. Everything about our life. Worshippers are called to lift the name of God in praise. And so the psalmist says God is praiseworthy. How seriously do you take the name of God? 
How seriously do you allow the presence of God to invade your life on a moment-by-moment basis and lift up His name in praise as you live out your life before other people? That's what it means in verse 5 where the psalmist says, The Lord, exalt the Lord our God, worship at His footstool, holy is He. So three times, in other words, he bowls it, he underlines it. Three times in these nine verses, he refers to God as holy. In verse 3, in verse 5, and verse 9. As I said before, holy means sacred. It means set apart from the ordinary. Holy means that two things. God is distinct from his creation, from you and me. And God is distinct from sin. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God. See, there's an affirmation there that there's, there's no time that God hasn't been. God wasn't created. He always has been. That's what makes Him God. He is now and He always will be God. He's set apart and distinct from His creation. And again, that includes you and me. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 24, the Bible says that because of man's sin, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Two points of emphasis. Number one, God is blessed forever. But also, you and I are not God. No human being is to be elevated, reverenced, worshipped, celebrated above God himself. He alone is worthy of our praise. This is one of the reasons why celebrity is such a problem. Because we have a tendency to put figures of this world, human beings of this world, above God in our mind and in the actual worship of our life. And so God is set apart from His creation. You were created in His image But you and I are very different from God. We're not God. But he's also set apart from sin. And that again makes him unique. In Leviticus chapter 11. Verses 44 and 45. The Bible says. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore. And be holy. For I am holy. And then in verse 45. For I, the Lord, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. What separates you and me from God is our sin. And we're going to talk about this in a minute, but God wants us to be consecrated to Him. In other words, set apart to Him. And there's a way for that to happen. But we're not God. We're not holy. He is. Paul Tripp blogged this week 
that God never has questions, never is surprised, never is frustrated, never wonders, never is greeted with mystery, never looks back with regret, never is hoping, never is waiting, never feels helpless, has nothing he can't figure out, and never finds himself at a loss. There is no authority over him that he has to answer to. He does what he pleases, decides what he wants, and acts as he chooses. All of that and so much more sets God apart as distinct for all that he is, all that he is. Our position is to cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I trust and pray that that is the declaration of your life. See, because God is sovereign and because God is holy, you can trust Him. I can trust Him. So what experience do you have every day that you're in the presence of holy God? What can you do to make sure every day you do live in the presence of the indwelling holy God? Well, you have to take that effort. You have to take that first step and invite God to be part of your life and consecrate. Set your life apart to walk with Him in the, in the normal daily activities that we have in our life. How are you expressing the experience that you have with holy God. See, we have that opportunity to describe God in our life for who He is with us, but when other people look at us, my prayer is that God will be described through the way that we live. And I think the psalmist was totally emphasizing that here. So how can you make that work? Well, I want to challenge you to take a little time today and this week and maybe every day to write down how you experience the holiness of God in your life. And let that be a reminder to you every day that God is holy, that God is high and lifted up, and that that is true in your life. That is changing your life on a daily basis. So the psalmist declares the holiness of God. He describes the holiness of God. And I pray that that you'll be able to describe the holiness of God working in your life as I do mine as well. Thirdly, he demonstrates the holiness of God. We see in verse 6, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel also was among those who called upon the name of the Lord. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. So the psalmist now recalls witnesses to the holiness of God. You want to know what the holiness of God is like? Well, here are some witnesses. Look at Moses. Look at Aaron. Look at Samuel, who called out to God, and God answered. In our small group discussion guide over the last few weeks, and we'll continue through the 17th chapter of the book of John, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, our discussion guides are taking us to the reality that prayer is effective when we pray in the name and in the power 
of the Holy Spirit and of, of the Lord Jesus. Jesus goes to great detail in that last week of his life to explain to his disciples that he and the Father and the Spirit are one God. They work together. And when we pray according to the will of God, then our prayers will be answered. The Holy Spirit will teach us what to pray and how to pray as we blend our lives with God and dedicate our lives, devote our lives to the holiness of God and being holy with God. God answers prayer that is consistent with giving glory to Him. And the Holy Spirit draws us into that relationship with God. Thomas Goodwin was an English Puritan who lived in the 1600s. Here's what he said in a book entitled, What Happens When I Pray? When God will have any great matters done, He sets His people's hearts to work at prayer. He stirs them up and moves their hearts by the influence of His Holy Spirit. In other words, when we pray in the Spirit of God, being led by the Spirit of God, praying what is in the will of God, then God is always going to answer our prayer. If I ask anything in His name, He'll do it, the Bible says. So Moses and Aaron and Samuel called and God answered. Do you believe God answers prayer today? I mean, it's such a blessing that every Wednesday morning for the last three or four years, we've had a small group of people who's gathered here in this room at 6.30 every Wednesday morning and prayed to God. And we always begin that prayer time giving praise to God. But the motive behind our prayer is that, that we would know God well enough to know what He wants us to ask for so that He can answer what we, what we pray for. His holiness is demonstrated through the answered prayer of His people. In verse 7, the Bible says, In the pillar of cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. So he's talking here specifically about Moses and Aaron. God demonstrated his presence to his people in tangible ways. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. Numbers chapter 12, verse 5. And Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 15. God came down to his people in what the Bible calls a pillar of cloud. In other words, there was a real personal presence of God guiding his people. God answered prayers in a demonstrated way. His holiness was demonstrated also through the hand-delivered testimonies and statutes that he gave his people. God gave direction to his people through his holiness, and through prayer. They had no excuse to miss holy God and the fact that He wanted them to be holy. And if they had no excuse, I mean, we have the written Word of God to give us directions. His statutes are given to us through His Word. And we have a far 
greater opportunity to know God and know what to pray for and know how to fellowship with Him and enjoy His holiness than the people of the psalmist lifespan. Today we have the written Word of God. We have a far greater advantage to worship God in His holiness, is my point. So the psalmist declares the holiness of God. The psalmist describes the holiness of God. The psalmist demonstrates the holiness of God. And then, this is where it really gets excited. He delights in the holiness of God. He delights in the holiness of God. Verse 8, he says, O Lord, our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Now, this is a two-sided coin here. Both sides are equally true and equally valuable. When he says, the Lord is an avenger of their wrongdoings, what does that really mean? What does that mean for us today? Because God is holy and because He is also just, He must punish rebellion. He must punish sin. He is an avenger of wrongdoing. But God demonstrated his righteous character to you and me in such a wonderful way. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He sent Jesus, his son, to take the punishment, the penalty for the wrongdoing that you and I do on himself. On himself. He exchanged His perfection for your sin. He exchanged His perfection for my sin. The sinless, holy life that Jesus lived, listen to this, is now credited to you. So when God avenges your sin, that means that He takes the punishment for your sin on Himself. Now that is grounds for delight. That is grounds for celebration. That is grounds for exalting and worshiping and praising God when the innocent one stands in our place and the guilty, that's you and me, are called holy. There's only one way that that can happen. And the psalmist only saw this in the future. We now see it in reality. Because Jesus has taken the place of our sin, sacrificed his life for your sin and my sin. And when we stand before God today, the guilty is called by God holy. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we see this perfectly described by the Apostle Paul. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. How can that happen? It can only happen by you receiving the gift that God offers you of His salvation. Have you received that gift today? 
Have you come to the point in your life where you have admitted that you're a sinner, knowing that your sin separates you from God, and you've realized that God has provided the gift of salvation for you so that you can be holy before God? The only way you can be holy before God is to commit your life to Him. Say, yes, God, I receive that gift of salvation. I believe that Jesus is my salvation, my Savior. I trust Him. And when you surrender your life to Him and make all of life about Him, you can't help but delight in Him. You can't help but worship and praise Him. To God be the glory. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the psalmist only got a foretaste of that. The psalmist only got a glimpse of that. But we have the whole story. We have the rest of the story. Jesus, God in human flesh, took the full weight and wrath of God on himself, on your behalf, when you trust him. So delight in the Lord today by trusting him. See, satisfaction is necessary for the consequences of sin, and that's why the psalmist said, praise God as the avenger of their wrongdoings. Now let me just say briefly, I won't go into the details of this, but there's a big difference between punishment and discipline. God's punishment is against sin. And you don't have to worry about God's punishment when you trust Jesus because He's taken that punishment upon Himself. Your sin has been avenged in Jesus. It's been laid upon Jesus. The weight of your sin doesn't have to be carried by you. But when you come to know Jesus and when you trust your life into God's hands as one of his children, Proverbs verse 3, verse 12, chapter 3 and verse 12, and Hebrews chapter 6 and chapter 12 and verse 6, Proverbs 3, 12, Hebrews 12, 6 says this, For the Lord disciplines the ones whom he loves. Don't mistake the discipline of God for the punishment of God. His punishment is on sin. And Jesus has taken that for the believer. But God loves you and he wants you to become more and more and more like him. So he continues to discipline you in your life. Punishment for sin has been supplied by the death of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus. But discipline from God is to show how much he loves you. The purpose of discipline is to correct the error of our ways. Discipline is for training, for redirection, for growth. And we should be honored when God disciplines us. Now don't mistake discipline for everything bad that happens in your life. That's just not reality. But discipline is a good thing. And I pray that you will join me today in celebrating God's discipline in your life. In verse 8, the psalmist says, O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger 
of their wrongdoing. So let's focus for a minute on God's forgiveness. Because God is holy, He delights in forgiveness. He delights in forgiving you and me. And Jesus put this in perspective when He hung there on the cross. What was one of the last prayers, one of the last words that Jesus spoke? As He hung there, His lifeblood flowed out of Him to pay the price for the penalty of your sin and my sin. Jesus looked out and looked up and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The forgiving heart of God is awesome. And when you experience God and His forgiveness, you can't help but delight in His forgiveness. And so verse 9 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship in His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Another bookend here. The Lord our God is holy. How can we express His holiness? We express His holiness by exalting Him, by lifting Him up. Today we continue to exalt God through what He's done for us, through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Delight in elevating Jesus our Savior today. Colossians chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In other words, without Jesus... This world falls apart. Without Jesus, your life falls apart. But with Jesus, this world is held together. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that we're going to celebrate God in for eternity. With Jesus, your life is held together. Are you delighting in that today? I trust that you are. There is none like Jesus. And you can mark this down. No celebrity will ever outshine Jesus. No celebrity is more valuable to your life than Jesus. Not a spouse, not a family member not a leader making all of life about Jesus brings out a delight and brings out a celebration like nothing else so I have to ask you today do you know him are you celebrating life with him is he the delight of your life 
the light and the holiness of God today. By way of application, I just want to call the church. Let the church rejoice in the holiness of the Lord. What does that look like? Well, it looks like you praising and celebrating Him with everything that you have inside of you. It means that you revere Him as holy. It means that you understand that because of Jesus, you reign with Him for the purpose of giving glory, highest praise to Him. Lord, thank You today that You call us to know you and to love you and to celebrate you to delight in you with every part of our being with every fiber of our being God I want to pray that not one person will leave here today not one person will go away today without coming to know you in a personal way without receiving the great gift of salvation that you offer and God, if your Holy Spirit is drawing someone to say, I want to give my life to Jesus today, I pray that person will be willing to say yes, to give their life to you today. And God, thank you that when we know you, we can't help but lift up your name and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Help us, God, early in the morning to lift our praise to you. Help us throughout the day to live a life that reflects our praise for you. Help us at the close of the day to thank you for giving us the opportunity of experiencing another day with you. To give glory and praise to you. God, along with this psalmist, help us to Rejoice in the fact that the Lord reigns. And help that to begin in our heart right now. In Jesus' name, amen.